Good morning. Good to see you all. Happy New Year. Welcome to uh, 2024. Uh, a new year ahead of us. Who knows what will happen? Um, I'm a... Yes. <laughs> yes. The end. I'm in. I'm a, I'm a fairly optimistic type of chap, and uh, I also don't like Christmas. So I'm quite happy to get all that stuff behind us. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to this kind of, I, I appreciate this time of year, the blank canvas that uh, is the new year. Literally anything could happen. I'm excited about that. Um, this is an election year, both in the UK and in the US. That will be hugely significant for us. That will have impact on our everyday lives. Um, there's also uh, general elections in about 60 other nations, um, including Russia and India and Japan. And so in terms of the global scene, quite literally anything could happen. This time next year, the world could look quite different. Uh, if you're a sports fan, we've got the Paris Olympics. Who's looking forward to that? Great. Um, <laughs> we've got Euro 24 in Germany. Anyone looking forward to that? Yeah, exactly, uh, in which England will almost certainly lose in the final to inferior opposition, so we tend to do. Uh, we've got the T20 Cricket World Cup, anyone looking forward to that? Great. Uh, John and Roe having a baby in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Oh, terrifying. And uh, by the end of 2024, God willing, I would have celebrated 50 years on the planet. How about that? Wow, man. In 1974, when I was born... Richard Nixon was, um, anyone remember Richard Nixon? He was resigning because of Watergate. And uh, Harold Wilson, whoever he was, was the Prime Minister. Um, we were about 15 years away from the first mobile phone. I think there's going to be a picture of that in just a second. Look at that. My goodness, that's the guy who invented it. Imagine trying to get that in your pocket. Um, <laughs> the aerial would just impale you, wouldn't it? Um, if you're under the age of 45, you may not remember this, but I can remember literally guys pulling a battery around on a trolley behind them so they could use their phones. Paul's nodding, he had one, didn't you? Yeah, I know. And, uh, and the internet was, can you believe it, like 20 years away from even being a thing. So um, the world has changed extraordinarily in 50 years, and it always has. That's what the world does. And uh, in 2024, change is a given. Just like in every other year in human history, Nations will rise, nations will fall, leaders will rise, leaders will fall, economies will rise, economies will fall, our bodies will age and change, our families will age and change, your job might change, you may get into a new relationship or make some completely new friends, you may lose some friends. All of these things will affect us, specifically in very real ways. And the reality is, in 2024, as we stand here today, we have very little insight as to what that might look like or mean for us. And um, so this morning, what I want to do is a little bit of a cultural screenshot. I want, to, I want to hold up the reality of life now as we do know it, with all of its uncertainties and anxieties as we anticipate this new year. And I want to hold that up against Psalm 46, a 3,000-year-old song that we might see and hopefully get into our bones that in spite of an ever-changing, increasingly confusing world, there is still rock-like, eternal truth that we can cling to. And as we find refuge, as we run into the refuge that is our God. Um, as Nathaniel said, we're starting a new preaching series today. It's actually called The God of Refuge. It's five weeks, and we're going to go through five psalms. And uh, in fact, our prophetic word for us as a church this year is, is the word refuge. And uh, we're hoping that this will help to shape our curriculum and our praying and our preaching through 2024. Uh, and as we were planning it, the, 
the kind of the background idea is some of what I've already talked about. Despite all of our scientific and technological and cultural sophistication, we are not becoming a less anxious, less angry, less volatile world, quite the opposite. Even as I reflect on the 50 years of my own life, the world is an increasingly confused and anxious place. And this is reflected in the confusion and the anxiety that we see in individual lives. I, um, I read an article this week. Uh, it was cheerfully entitled, The World Should Fear 2024. There it is. It's a reputable news source. I read it every day. And uh, it's a writer that I respect, Aris Rusinos. He's a war correspondent. And the argument he made was essentially this. He said, 2023 was the most war-torn year in global history since the Second World War. We're, we're not in a world war, so uh, it doesn't feel quite as pervasive or perilous, perhaps, but there's no doubt we are a world at war. Israel, Gaza, Sudan, Russia, Ukraine, all in serious conflicts right now. China, Taiwan, India, Pakistan, the USA, the UK, NATO, all just hanging around the fringes of all these conflicts as well. It's actually quite hard to think at the moment of a, of a major nation right now, not just a kind of a hair trigger away from full-blown conflict. And then you've got a whole heap of secondary issues related to this, which are no less threatening to geopolitical stability and world peace, but far more difficult to articulate and to resolve. Ideological skirmishes, fascism, racism, all reported to be on the rise by all sorts of metrics. Um, last week, you may have um, seen the news was full of Houthi rebels attacking American and European cargo ships uh, as they traveled through the Red Sea. And that's kind of related to the Israel-Gaza conflict. Houthis are not even a, a nation. It, it's hard to see how you get your hands around and defeat um, an enemy that isn't actually a nation, doesn't wear uniforms. These are just poor ideological rebels from a variety of backgrounds. And so those ships, as they come through the Red Sea, are just at the mercy of these sorts of attacks. It's, it's near impossible to proactively defend yourself against an enemy like that. And that's just one of many trickling on around the world. And um, if those ships in the Red Sea are carrying oil and other products bound for commercial markets in the West, and they can't get through, well, what do you think happens to the price of those products? And if the price of those products goes up, what do you think happens to global economies? And so we've got an increase in major conflicts and an increase in minor skirmishes with increased political instability and increased pressure on economies. And maybe Donald Trump will come back this year and maybe he won't and maybe oil will go up and maybe it won't and maybe we'll be in recession again and maybe we won't. And so maybe we should just crawl back under the duvet and fear and hide from 2024. And when you layer all of that onto a world in which truth is just a kind of a relative term nowadays, each person just making it up as they go along, disinformation widespread, who and what can you believe anymore? It's not really not surprising that one in six people at any one time in England report experiencing anxiety or depression in any one week, or that the median age for the onset of diagnosable anxiety now is 11 years old or that diagnosable mental health conditions amongst children and adults in the UK is at an all-time and unprecedented high. It's, it's dizzying, it really is. The world is under so much incredible pressure right now. Our society is under so much pressure right now. It's like a, a game of Jenga. You pull out one more plank and the whole structure could fall down. So 
So what are we to do? And where are we to turn? Everyone's feeling really happy now, aren't they? Now, what I want you to do is think about what I've said. And it's real. These are realities we need to confront. But I want you to hold that in mind while I read Psalm 46. You can join along with me if you like in the Church Bibles on page 570. Or uh, if you prefer, the words will come up on the screen. Right there, the war reporter Aris Rusinos writes to tell us that the world should fear 2024. This is the psalmist's response. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Of course they are. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So that's, that's Psalm 46, and it's called God is our refuge. It's, it's simple. It's actually um, it's, it's the, it's a one-line response to almost everything I've talked about so far. When I was preparing this, I was thinking, I might as well just literally read that first line and then sit down and let people meditate on that for half an hour. Look at it again, Gateway. God is our refuge and our strength. Therefore, we will not fear 2024. Even though the earth gives way, even though just as verse 3 describes earthquakes and tsunamis threaten Japan, even though Storm Hank batters the UK, causing the seas to rage and foam, even though Houthi rebels attack ships in the Red Sea, even though we have no idea who's going to be leading our country in a year's time, even though every major nation is in uproar, even though the earth gives way, even though climate change is an inevitability, even though the mountains that we thought we could always cling to are slipping in an age of truth, not being truth at all, even in spite of these things. Verse 1, our God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. What a psalm for our times this is. Martin Luther said that uh, the, the Bible speaks to us, but that the Psalms speak for us. When we see the things of the world that we will and we do, the Psalms give us language to express our feelings and our prayers. Man, is that true of this one? When I read that article this week, I was pretty downcast. The world is a fearful mess, and I can't see it getting much better. So what did I need to remember and tell myself in light of that? That even when the earth shakes, and it will shake, that even when I shake, and, and I will shake, that my God, that our God, is our refuge. He is our refuge, and he is our strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. So, um, it's not known for sure, but it's thought that this psalm was um, written at a similar time 
a similar fearful time in Israel's history, in about 701 BC. Um, and at the time, Israel were under attack from the Assyrian army, who uh, were at that time the evil superpower of the world. Now, I don't know if you know much about Assyrian psychology, but here's a quick lesson. They weren't known for being a happy-go-lucky party people. They weren't big on picnics and family days out. Skipping probably wasn't big in the school curriculum. They were a war machine and they were marching across the globe, just gobbling up nations and cities, um, and this was in a time before human rights were a thing, if you get my drift. If the Assyrian army appeared outside your city walls, there was a good chance that by the end of the day, you'd have had a battering ram breach your defenses, and that if you're a fighting man, by sundown, you'd have had the skin peeled from your body or be impaled on a stick. They were bloodthirsty, they were brutal, they were merciless. And it's thought that on this occasion, 185,000 of them appeared one morning outside the Jerusalem city walls looking for a punch-up. Now, Jerusalem, as you know, was the city of God. Uh, this was the capital city of Israel, the people of God with the temple and the priests. And so really importantly, the fate of Jerusalem, the city, was really the fate of God's people. If Jerusalem fell, then the people of God were in pretty serious trouble. And this is really crucial to understand. Jerusalem had no water supply of its own. It's one of the few major cities in the world that doesn't have its own water supply. It's not situated on a river or a sea. Instead, there was a spring down the road. That's not a great picture, but you get the idea. That's the Gihon Spring, and, uh, and the, it was kind of away from the city, but an elaborate tunnel had been uh, tunneled through the rocks to allow water to come in. So if you were an angry Assyrian who couldn't breach the city walls, the easiest thing to do naturally was just to lay siege to the city. No one gets in or out, and you control the water supply from down the road. That's essentially the, the nature of siege warfare. You trap the people in the city and you starve them and you thirst them until they just give up. And this made Jerusalem a really vulnerable military target, all of which was by God's design for reasons that we'll see in this psalm. So it was a fearful and terrifying time for them. Now, in spite of that, look what the psalmist writes in verse four and five, these beautiful words. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is within her. She will not fall. There was clearly not an actual river in the city of God, and there was very little gladness for them as the Assyrian army pulled up outside. But that's the point of this psalm. The greater reality was that there was nothing in the strength of man, nor anything of the natural world that would save these people. He's writing symbolically that the river that waters the town and provides life and security and makes the people glad is God who is within them. And it was always God who protected and sustained his people and had promised himself to the city and had staked his own reputation on the welfare of that city. I lead you in paths of righteousness for my namesake. And it was he who was the source of gladness in a time of warfare and chaos and siege and that he had declared, so long as I am in the city, so long as I am amongst my people, they will not fall. Yeah. That would change everything for them. Just as the truth of that should change everything for us in 2024, whatever enemy we face. Now, as the story goes, 
You can read this in uh, 2 Kings, 2 Kings 19. The Assyrian king, Sennacherib, comes against Jerusalem with 185,000 mighty warriors. They camp outside the city walls and they prepare for siege. And that night, God speaks to one of the prophets and he says, I have plans for the city. So, this is what we read, 2 Kings 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot or, or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it. For my sake, there it is, he stakes his reputation to the protection of his people and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all dead, all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. It's a pretty remarkable story. I try and this week to visualize what that would have been like. It would have been terrifying for the Assyrians. One Bible teacher says that to get a, a sense of the scales here, it would have been like the full US army attacking a Welsh town and the Welsh town winning. Now, I love Wales, but uh, if Norman Schwarzkopf and the boys showed up one morning to invade Tenby, pretty sure that by lunchtime they'd be flying the stars and stripes over Tenby Castle and having a cream tea. <laughs> Nevertheless, that's helpful to see the scale of this battle and the scale of this victory. The most fearsome army in the world shows up and you are stuck inside the city walls and you're hugely outmanned. Very soon there'll be no water and before one arrow is fired or one siege ramp is laid, that army is wiped out by God. No wonder that in response, the psalmist writes that God is a refuge. Yeah. Even in the face of the most fearsome and earth-shaking circumstances. 2024 really has nothing on 701 BC. No wonder, he says, that God is an ever-present help. No wonder, he says, that the nations are in uproar, but the Lord lifts his voice and kingdoms fall. No wonder, he says, that even in a waterless land, God is a river with streams that make the city glad and full of life. No wonder that he says that God makes wars cease, that he breaks bows and shatters spears. I imagine the um, headlines around that time would have been something like, the world should fear 701 BC, just as we're told we should fear 2024. Except, God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is an ever-present help for us, Gateway. I want to take three quick things that we can take from this psalm as we go out into 2024. The first thing is, things will shake. I don't want to overlabor this point, I think I already have, but this psalm is fundamentally good news for us. But I've already articulated the ways that the world is and will continue to shake, and 2024 will be no different. The question isn't whether things will shake, the question is how you will respond when they do. You may not have 185,000 Assyrians show up on your front lawn in April, but in some ways, it might feel like it to you. There may be circumstances completely beyond your control that make it feel like there's a marauding enemy at your door trying to batter the gates in. You may not be reliant on a spring and a tunnel down the road for water, but there may very well come circumstances that wear you down and that make you hunger and thirst for a solution which seems out of your control. And in those times, there are one of two headlines that you can choose 
to adopt as your personal slogan. The first one is, the world should fear 2024. The second one is, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. So what do we do this year if we face relational stresses or when the money doesn't add up or when your political party doesn't get into power or when your emotional or physical health takes a beating? There will be a number of practical ways to deal with these situations, but not one of them will amount to a hill of beans if what underpins them isn't settled in your heart. A firm declaration of belief that God is our refuge and our strength. This has been the single most and central testimony of my entire life. And God has proven this time and time again to me that in good seasons and bad ones, in times when I felt like my foot is slipping and like I'm sliding into the foaming seas along with the mountains and everything else that I thought was solid and secure, that in spite of all of this, God is and has been and therefore I trust will be my refuge and my strength. So what do we do when the earth shakes, when our lives shake in 2024? We run to the refuge. We run to our strong tower. I heard someone once say, blessed be the storm that drives me to the rock. When the world storms and shakes in 2024, let that stormy shaking not cause you to fear. Let it drive you to the eternal rock, our God of refuge. The second thing is, God is unshakable. This psalm is written about the protection of God's city, Jerusalem. And that was because before Jesus came, the place to meet with God was at the temple in Jerusalem through a priest. And so the connection between God and the fortunes of his people was all centered on Jerusalem. If Jerusalem failed, it had significant consequences for the people of God. But this is no longer the case for us. When Jesus came and died on the cross for us, just one of the effects of that was to open up the way for all people to meet with God, not just the priests and not just in Jerusalem. Now anyone can meet with God. You and anyone who says yes to Jesus can meet with God and know his salvation and protection and his presence through declaring faith in Jesus Christ at any time, even here this morning. And that means that the city of God, the dwelling place of God, if you like, the place where God has chosen to dwell with his people is no longer just Jerusalem, it's wherever his people gather in his name, which means that the city of God is wherever we, the people of God, gather. The city of God is the church now. Not the building, the building is a vehicle by which we can gather, but it's us with us personally. And as we gather together, all the promises and the protection of Jerusalem are now promises and protection over us, his church, his people, his bride. We are the city of God. The church of Jesus Christ and all who reside in her uh, are the city that God is building throughout the earth. And in every age, it is this city that God is zealously establishing and loving and guarding throughout the nations. And this being the case, as you read Psalm 46, this has huge consequences for us. There is a river, our God, amongst us, 
whose streams run through the nooks and the crannies and the side streets of that city that make glad the people of God. The people of God, the holy place where God dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. Gateway, whatever you face in 2024, because God is with you. And his streams of life run through the nooks and the crannies of your circumstances. Whatever you face poses absolutely no threat to God's plan for your life or your eternal salvation in him. His plans and his purposes for his people never fail. It probably felt like they were just about to and 185,000 Assyrians showed up. They never fail. God has a plan. God is mighty. It makes no difference who sits on earthly thrones. It makes no difference who governs from Westminster or DC or how much money you have in your pocket or the state of your health or your emotions. Verse 7, the central verse of this whole psalm tells us why. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Not DC, not the capital, not Westminster. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Everything I've said so far is only possible because of this verse. God is with us. The most common instruction in the whole Bible is not to pray more or to worship more. It's this one. Do not fear. You don't need to. You may well shake, and you may well fear. That's a normal human response. But the biblical truth of the psalm and the central plank of all of Scripture is that you don't need to fear because God is with us. God is with you. That's the central facet of the gospel. And the simple fact of this, and this is true for us in life and death, is that God is with us. That's the central hope of the Christian faith. That's what coalesces us. That's what guides us. That's what gives us strength to be up and about in the morning. That through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, God has come to be with us and is with us. And so long as you declare faith in Christ, so long as you run to the fortress and refuge that is Jesus Christ time and time again, the rock of our salvation, God is with you. And therefore, even though the mountains and the seas of your life roar and quake, God's purposes for you here and for your eternal security in him and with him will not fail. Gateway, the Lord is with us. In 2024, just like in 701 BC and every other year in human history, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The righteous run to him and are saved. Here's the final thing. Be still and know that he is God. Verse 8 to 9 is a, is a kind of a witness statement, if you like, of someone who has faced terror and enemy attack in his life, and he's seen the hand of a saving God at work in the midst of it. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And he says, be still and know that I am God. When we look at the state of the world in 2024, this verse should give us hope. And this is why. The world is a broken place. We did that. Sin did that. But God's kingdom, his rule and reign over all situations is, over all situations is interweaved in it all as a pointer of a greater reality yet to come. He is working through these things, even tragic things, pointing us forward to a day when he returns to make all these things right. And he shatters the spear and he breaks the bow forever. 
That's the direction of human history. That should give us confidence, and it should also help us to pray now. The Kenyan pastor Samuel Ngewa talks about this beautifully in terms of the present reality of so much of what they see in their environment in Africa. He says, we are waiting and we are praying for the day when he will break the Kalashnikov rifles and destroy all the landmines and burn the missiles. I love that. It's really spoken to me this week as I've read that. It's helped me to know how to pray for <coughs> excuse me, Israel and Gaza and the Ukraine. And when I see natural disasters, Lord, please break the rifles. Please calm the storms. The world is a mess right now, but we need not fear. God is with us. God is working a plan through all of human history, and God will soon return to make all things right and establish an eternal peace for his people as he comes to dwell with us. Therefore, what should we do? There's only one instruction in this entire psalm, one thing it tells us to do. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I've got this. I've got 2024. 2024 is no surprise to me. Neither was any other year in history. I'm still in control. I still have a plan for you and for all of humanity. Be still and know that I'm God. What does that look like? What does it mean to be still in a world with a 24-hour news cycle, which you can't even tell if it's the news anymore? in a world where the average person spends four and a half hours a day absorbed in whatever their phone is telling them, in a world where we're never more than a short hop flight away from a major war zone. It looks like this. It looks like occasionally looking up to the stars or looking out to the ocean once in a while and knowing that the same God who made all that stuff, who flung the stars into space, who commanded the oceans to be, is near to you every moment of your life. It means looking at your bank balance at the end of the month and knowing that he is able, in spite of what it says, to provide your every need and that he's within your midst. It means receiving the medical diagnosis and acknowledging that, yes, my body will grow old and fail, but that because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross, it is well with my soul. And therefore, even when this outer shell fails, God's purposes for me in this life and the next will never fail. It means watching the news headlines and acknowledging the brokenness of the world and both praying for him to break the bow and shatter the spear and also exhaling and resting in the fact that the way the story ends is in his return to us when he'll make all these things right. Therefore, fear not 2024. Instead, in 2024, be still and know that he is God. God is our refuge gateway. He is our strength In Mark 4, there's a story, you probably know, that Jesus calms a storm that's threatening to capsize a boat that he and his disciples are sailing on. What words do he say? Does anyone remember what words he speaks to the storm? Be still. Be still. And the storm was still. The storm just obeyed its master. And so too should we. Be still and know that he is God. I I need to bring us into land. And I want to do so by reading from the end of the Bible. I think it's, it's helpful to remember when we hear about the Ukraine and Gaza and earthquake, earthquakes and climate change and the rest of it, how the story ends. And you'll note as we read this that there's a complete reversal of uh, everything that the world would tell you to fear. That's, this is the, the great hope and the destiny of the people of God. This is Revelation 21. First four verses. It says... 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, hallelujah, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. All that stuff is gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse four, my all-time favorite Bible verse, bar none, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's gone. That's the hope of the Christian faith. That is what has sustained the church and millions of believers over the centuries as they've faced flood and fire and persecution and sword and missile and pain and death that one day the old order of things will pass away and all of these things will be no more. Therefore, Come 2024 and all that it brings, because our God is with us, because there is a river whose streams make glad the city, the people of God, because our God in every situation we face is a refuge for his people into which we can run and find strength and protection, come good times, come bad times, we can be still and know that he is God. Gateway, our God is our refuge and a strength. May that be true for you this year. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these songs written thousands of years ago that give language to our experience of life with all its richness, its ups and its downs. It makes sense of the world in every generation with central truths that we can hold on to that tell us that whatever the season whatever the circumstances, whatever the geopolitical circumstances or the economic ones, whatever's going on in the face of the earth, that there is a rock who is unchanging and unmoving. Our God, the rock of our salvation, the ancient of days, the eternal father, rules and reigns in heaven this morning just as he always has. And we stake our lives on that. And we thank you that you staked yours on protecting and guarding us. Lord, we thank you for all that you are. I pray for my brothers and sisters here whatever they're facing, that in 2024, when we look back on it, they will know and testify that my God was my refuge this year. I ran to him. He was my strength and my ever-present help in a time of trouble. Lord, help us to be still and to know that you're God. Amen.